What's the best way to hedge inflation? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Hey, Jim, it's great to see you. Great to see you. Interesting day. We've had interesting week. Interesting day, interesting week. I'm going to channel uh, one of our members, Rich, who's in the chat and always brings it, is saying, happy Friday, champions. That's right. <laughs> we, need to, we need to put our best foot forward to figure all this stuff out. So we had another hot inflation reading, this time producer prices. That really got things going today. We saw that immediate reaction in the bond market, yield on the 10-year, U.S. 10-year, now above 4.3%. What do you make of what's happening with prices, Jim? Does that rate need to go higher? Are we seeing inflation reaccelerate in a meaningful way? What do you think is happening here? Well, at a minimum, I think what we're seeing is inflation might be very close to the bottom. Um, Wall Street has had a term that it invented, you know, last summer called the last mile, that inflation was going to go from 3% to 2%. And what we've seen with the data, the CPI data and the PPI data, and I might add the PCE data that comes at the end of the month that the Fed looks at uses the same raw materials as CPI and PPI, uses the same survey. So you could kind of take PPI's numbers and CPI numbers and reweight them and it looks like we're probably going to get a four tenths rise in core PCE at the end of the month. It's going to, and so all of this is suggesting that maybe that last mile that we've been looking for is already done, and it's done in the low threes to high twos on a year-over-year basis for CPI inflation, mm-hmm. and that from here it isn't going to get much better. And there is a possibility, especially. If you've seen what gasoline prices have done over the last 10 days, they're up almost 5% in the last 10 days, that it might get worse. Inflation numbers might get worse. But at the minimum, if we're looking at the bottom being 3% on inflation, that is going to be a problem. That is what Jay Powell does not want. And that is what the bond market has been very uh, bothered by, which is, like you said, why we're at a 430 yield in the 10-year. Yeah. You know, that really, that reminds me, um, it really mirrors something that Bob talked about with Harry Melandry uh, this week. They were kind of going over what, what has been this sort of difficult path. And let's remember everybody, you know, just just in November, as we turn the corner to the year, we had a radically different idea about what was going to happen. I mean, there were so many rate cuts baked in. We had this narrative, as you say, of, you know, rapidly falling inflation. It was going to allow the Fed to really... Um, cut rates and maybe even preemptively cut rates. The Fed themselves sort of indicated that with their dot plot. Let's have a listen to what Bob uh, was saying about inflation, which I think mirrors your thinking, Jim, and then we'll talk on the other side. Let's have a listen. I think the more general point, if you like, don't get sucked into all the particulars, is like, look, like the question is, where is inflation settling? And if it's settling at three to four, that's too high. You know, it's not a disaster, but it's too high. For the Fed, and if it's settling at you know on CPI two to three and on PCE one to two, then you know it's mostly fine, um, and we'll give them the space to to cut. And but you know PCE or core PCE is their preferred measure, but it's not preferred does not mean only; it just means preferred. Um, and so they're going to look at a range of different indicators. And so my guess is what we're going to see is it, you know it looks like core CPI and core uh, and and headline CPI are going to they're just going to be a little too hot relative to what the Fed would want to achieve its mandate, in part because, you know, we're going to have some softening of the disinflation that exists in the 
in the goods prices. And that probably will moderate a little faster than the disinflation on the services side, um, given the sort of uh, slower moving OER and rents and stuff like that uh, on the services side. And so, you know, in this range, you know, being kind of stuck in this range is is probably where we're going to be at. And that's probably going to be not quite good enough for the Fed to feel good about about preemptively cutting meaningfully. That full interview is available on our website. If you are not a member or you want to upgrade, go over to realvision.com and join us. We always have some fantastic offers on. Um, so Jim, are we looking at, so if you think it's bottomed, are we in this now? Is this the new norm that we're in this higher inflationary situation? Maybe some of these structural issues that people have been pretty persistently talking about with us in the last week. And now we've seen the kind of data confirm that. And if so, what does that mean for, for market expectations? You know, I want to I want to focus on the first part of what you said about a new normal. <laughs> Jay Paul at his press conference two weeks ago, and even earlier this week, Janet Yellen have used similar types of talking points. The economy is normalizing, that we're returning, you know, we're getting past the pandemic. And I want to ask the question, normalizing to what? Mm. What are we currently at? What is not normal about the current economy that needs to be normalized? And I'll, I'll give you an answer. There's nothing abnormal about the current economy. This is the new post-pandemic economy. That when they talk about normalizing, they want to go back to a set of rules that were pre-pandemic, which gets you inflation to 2%. And really, this is what we're going to have to start to think about, that maybe two things were true at the same time. In 21 and 22, we had a transitory element of inflation that took us to 9% because of supply chain constraints. That went away. So the transitory crowd got that right. But when the dust settled on getting rid of that transitory element, we're left with a 3% inflation world, not a 2% inflation world. So the higher for longer crowd, was also correct. And now it's all of a sudden the higher for longer crowd is starting to look more, you know, uh, relevant and more correct that if this inflation level is going to stay at this at this point, let me put it in Fed terms. Um, the Fed likes to use a term called R star to figure out what the neutral funds rate is. They think it's 50 basis points or half a percent above the long run inflation rate. They've been arguing that once we normalize the inflation rates, long run rate, it goes to three, uh, two, excuse me. And R star means that two and a half is the normal funds rate. So at five and a quarter to five and a half on the funds rate, there's 300 basis points of tightness in the market. What if the normal, what if the long run inflation rate is more like three to three and a half? And some Fed officials have said, maybe that R star 50 basis points is actually a hundred basis points now. It's a little bit wider. All of a sudden, you're starting to look at the idea that maybe four to four and a half is the neutral funds rate. Now, now five to five and a quarter is tight, but it's not nearly as tight as if the neutral funds rate was two and a half. And so maybe the reason that we're seeing the sticky inflation, the strong no landing economy, the strong stock market, the lack of anything breaking is while the Fed is technically tight, they're not that tight. And that's why this economy can handle this level of interest rates. 
they haven't broken anything. They haven't gone too far. They haven't really solved the inflation problem if their long-run goal is to get to 2%. Well, that's a big if, right? So this is a question we get a lot. Okay, so say it's at three and say they have to stay where they are. They don't cut, but they that, that we're in this four to 5% interest rate. Historically, that's still really low. If the economy's strong, does that matter? Do they have to break something? Or can we just be in an environment where both growth and interest rates and inflation are all a little higher than they were before? Or it doesn't well, work like that. No, it does. But there's a big caveat to it. Yes, we can be in an environment like that. But we also, let's, and I'm going to talk about what the, the survey of consumer finances from the Federal Reserve shows us. The top 50% of income, owns 94% of the assets, stocks, bonds, houses, yeah. retirement assets. 94% is owned by half of the country. The top 10% of income own half the assets in the country. The bottom 50% of income owns over half the debt. So the unfortunate reality is the rich being the top 50% or top 10%, they own stocks, they own bonds, they own homes. And if they're going up in price, they're doing okay. And the bottom 50%, they live paycheck to paycheck. Yep. They're dependent on their paycheck not being falling behind inflation. And they have a lot of debt, whether it's a mortgage debt, personal debt, credit card debt, student hot debt, um, or all of the above. So when if, if we are to say, no, we're in a 3% inflation world, we're in a 4 to 5% interest rate world, top 10% are fine. In mm -hmm. fact, they might even like it. They're going to get more interest income. Uh, but the bottom 50% that live paycheck to paycheck are going, is my paycheck going to continue to keep up with inflation if it's going to be a three plus percent world? And what about my debt? Are my interest costs ever going to come down? That's why you can have the situation where the economy as measured by GDP and consumption, uh, retail sales, except for January's retail sales, but in the last several months, has looked very good because the top 10%, the top 50% are almost all of the spending in the economy. The yeah. bottom 50% are really hurting, but they don't spend enough to change the economy. But one person, one vote, it shows up in the political numbers, in the low presidential approval rating, and that the opposition party, in this case, Trump, is running competitively, if not ahead, of Biden because everybody's complaining about the current situation. Mm -hmm. But you then go, but what about GDP? Yeah, it's because it's a bunch of rich people spending a lot of money. Yeah. That's what's keeping up the economy. And people that are living paycheck to paycheck with debt are very unhappy. So 3% inflation, if you're top 50%, you can handle it. Bottom 50% is a different story. That's a great way to put it, Jim. And I think it um, it really eloquently, we, we talk about income distribution and all these other words, and, and it can get lost in what that means. But but that's really it. And yeah, now it's showing up in opposition. But at some point, you know, um, uh, some people are starting to ask what happens when everybody figures out they're all the same and none of the policies change it. You know, do you have the potential for civil unrest in a way we never have? And, you know, there's just the feeling on the part of everyday people that they're getting screwed and young people. right? Young people are going to go to the polls in more and more numbers if they choose to participate in any kind of political system, which there's a question about that. So this is where, you know, we start getting into super, super dicey territory. I um, mean, it's not something people are paying enough attention to from an economic point of view, I think. 
Um, so that was that was a wonderful explanation. So we've got a lot of questions coming in, and I want to make sure we get to all of them. So I wanted to sort of um, jump in in just a minute. So sure. let's just let's just touch on yields and and stocks before we do that. Uh, the bond, you know, the the market had been pricing in a lot of rate cuts. They pulled back on those bets, but where does it look like we're going? Are we going back up to five percent? Are we are we shifting away from thinking about cuts at all? What do you see happening with the treasury market? So let's start with the treasury market and go to the stock market. I think that as we start to realize that the economy is no landing, no landing means that it's running at its potential or maybe a little bit above its potential. You know. Um, at somewhere between two and a half to three percent growth for GDP, that would be above its potential. Consumption staying very high, and if it's going to run at its potential at around two and a half to three percent, and let's say we are in a three percent world, there's a statistic called nominal GDP. You take the two and add them together, right? So if you're at a two and a half percent real growth world and you're at a three percent inflation world, that means nominal growth is five and a half percent. That's a good proxy for where interest rates should be. Mm. So I've been an outlier. And I mean, let, let me let me be clear on this. I am an outlier. I think that ultimately the 10-year yield could go to five, five and a half percent sometime this year. Now I still got 10 more months or so for that uh, to be the be played out right or wrong. And I am higher than a lot of other people, but I do feel strongly that rates will continue to move up. Because in a nominal world of five to five and a half percent growth, it you can't really run a sustained level of interest rates below that unless you're doing quantitative easing. We did from 2010 to 2020 because we were intentionally forcing interest rates down through quantitative easing, but we're not doing quantitative easing right now. And that probably isn't going to be coming back anytime soon. So I think that those rates could go up. What does it mean for the stock market? Um, if you ask a lot of stock strategists, long-term, big picture, what is the potential for the stock market over many years? You know, you do the Buffett trade, buy an S&P index fund, and then don't look at it for five years. You would expect it to probably give you about an 8% return on a yearly basis. So 8% every year. Um, in 2019, when the potential was still 8%, we coined the term TINA. There is no alternative. Money market funds were yielding zero. Bond funds were yielding in the 2 to 3% range. You had to get in the stocks because it was the only way you were going to get a return. Well, if we're now in a 5% world for bonds, if assuming that I'm right, we get there, we're already in the mid to high fours all in when you added mortgages and corporates and everything. If we're in a plus 5% world for money market funds, that provides very good competition for an 8% stock market. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, especially older boomers, and older boomers have a lot of the money, they would say, are you telling me that I could get 8% year over year in the stock market, but risk a bear market, risk you know, um, volatility? Or I could get 5, 5.3 in a money market fund with no risk? That's two thirds, maybe pushing 70% of the long-term returns. I can get out of stocks without any market risk. I'll take that. I'll take that. And I'll know that my NAV on my money on my money fund is $1 every single day. And I don't have to worry about what NVIDIA is going to do this week or Tesla's going to do that in that last week or whatever else is going on in the marketplace right now. 
And so that's the competition that the stock market has to overcome as we move forward. Now, we had 14 of the last 15 weeks in the stock market were higher. This week, we've had another down week finally. From 14 to 15 weeks, you have to go back 51 years. Why, why was the stock market having its best run in 51 years? I think what was underpinning it all the way to like literally a couple of days ago was this idea, interest rates have peaked, they're going to come down, the Fed's going to cut rates, that competition is going to go away. And so mm. therefore, stocks will look more attractive and that would start to bid them up. I think the bond market sniffed out the inflate. The bond market's closer to inflation than the stock market. Sniffed out this inflation problem probably beginning of the month around the big payroll report beat. The stock market, I think, only in the last two or three days is starting to go, wait a minute, where's all these rate cuts? Yeah. Wait a minute, where's these lower rates going to come from? And literally, the beginning of the week, they still thought they were going to get them. And so as we go into next week and we go into the week after and the week after, the stock market's going to be sitting there going, do I have to compete with the bond market again? Or are those rates going to go down so I can go back to screaming, Tina, there is no alternative, everybody into the stock market. Absolutely. And we know that people are afraid. Uh, we've seen this before. There's a lot of talk about whether there's going to be a bust and a significant downturn and people if they become risk averse, will want that safety. So uh, this is a great question. We we talked about, uh, we kicked it off saying, how do you hedge against this environment, right? What are, what are your options if you are worried about that? David asking, Jim, you commented lightly several weeks ago that maybe crypto and gold are no longer really independent of stocks and bonds as new forms of ownership muddy their uniqueness, uh, futures, ETFs, and other derivatives. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, just to be clear, what I was worried about is that the advent of the spot Bitcoin ETF and other types of derivatives was sucking those into the financial system. The beauty about crypto, Bitcoin, gold was supposed to be they're sort of independent of the financial system. They should have about a zero correlation with financial assets. Right. Not necessarily negative or positive, but since we started to suck them in to the system, they've been getting more and more correlated. Crypto started to look like it was starting to get uncorrelated again in the financial assets, which would have been good. But then around last summer, when we started talking about this Bitcoin ETF coming, they're, they're, they started to get sucked back into this system. And what I see now really worries me. Let me be clear on something here. I am a long-term bull on crypto, and I believe the story on crypto, but I don't like these, these ETFs. What this is doing is, is it's taking all of the energy of, of crypto and turning everybody into a bunch of DGENs chasing the flows in ETFs. Oh, they're going in today. They're going out today, tomorrow, and that's all we're doing. The long-term potential for crypto was supposed to be, this is an alternative financial system. Uh, especially for people in Asia, Africa, um, in the Middle East, Latin America, that have shaky currencies, that have shaky financial systems, that we were going to build a decentralized system in order to offer an alternative to that part of the world. And then it would kind of come back to the uh, developed world. That was the hope. 
Where are we on that? Well, we 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 mouthed that we were there, but no, we're all sitting here watching, you know, iBit, and we're all sitting here watching the flows, and we're all rooting for a bunch of wealth managers to plow into these ETFs to push mm. the prices up. We're not saying I need to think about building something different. I need to be thinking about solving the problems that the current financial system has. I think we're losing the narrative and that we're all just becoming a bunch of degenerate gamblers wondering whether or not Bitcoin's going to go up or down with the flows. And no, getting a bunch of people into Bitcoin ETF is adoption. Adoption is, and I, I brought it here for this conversation, this is my, uh, this is my ledger. Uh, this is my cold storage device that I own all of my cryptos on and my Bitcoin on. That's adoption when you get people to go to this level. When you get people to say, I'm going to, in my regulated brokerage account, buy a regulated product that trades in the New York Stock Exchange, therefore, I have found something outside the financial system. No, you haven't. We've sucked it in. And it's just become no different than buying Tesla. And you're going to wind up with the same type of thing. It will go up and down with QQQ. And the idea that we should be building something different, it's going to get lost if it just becomes a levered version of the NASDAQ 100. So that's why, like I said, I love crypto. I love the idea. I just think that what we're seeing with these spot Bitcoin ETFs and everything else is not good. And I would add, the commentary you hear out of the crypto crowd is exactly what I heard 20 years ago out of the, out of the gold crowd. Oh, if only 1% of all people put their money in crypto. That's exactly what we said 20 years ago. If 1% of people put their money in gold. And then we're like, well, gold is too hard to buy. So let's create an ETF. Let's create derivatives. Um, let's create futures contracts. Crypto's too hard to, to buy. We created ETFs. We created futures. We're creating derivatives on it. Gold has become another fiat currency is what's happened. It has not become something independent. Crypto is going to become just another version of the NASDAQ 100. That's my fear. I hope I'm wrong on it. But every day I look at this, I just shake my head going, I think you guys are losing the narrative on this. You want to be building something different, not trying to get sucked into the current system that we have. So, so interesting. You can believe that it's going to come up. We are, because of all of the questions about not only where we are in the cycle, we have the halving coming up for those who are, who are following in Bitcoin, but also some of these really existential questions. Should you be participating? Should it be part of your portfolio? Is it getting too sucked in? Are you not going to get the correlation you want? All of this stuff um, is going to come up. We are doing a crypto gathering 2024. Don't F this up edition. It's next week. The 22nd and 23rd, it is free. Just sign up at realvision.com forward slash crypto gathering. Um, if you are a member already, you'll get automatic access. If you're watching on YouTube, it's free. Just go and register. But Jim, this is exactly why we're at this point, why we're doing this, because a lot of people are trying to figure it out. So are you not adding to your position? Or are you just holding what you have until you get some clarity of what's going on? Or do you see this even with its flaws? as a hedge to some of what's coming if we are in this period where we're going to readjust and we're looking at higher inflation and higher rates? So I'm holding into my positions. I'm not adding to them. If I do add to them, they're going on my ledger. They're not going to go in my brokerage account because that's where it, where we should be focused this whole um, thing right now. Yeah. I What I want to see is I want to see that 
the adoption uh, outside of just dragging a bunch of TradFi people into their brokerage accounts in the crypto is continuing. That we're thinking about how do we make this space easier and more attainable for people that are looking for an alternative financial system. I'd be a lot more excited than I would be about everybody spending all their energy just trying to figure out how much IBIT is going to get today or tomorrow and yeah. its fees. And look, over the short term, price can go up. You know, and I still think the price might go up. But if you want to go, Kathy Wood, and go, Bitcoin's going to be 1.3 million in 10 years. Yeah, I can I could give you a scenario that Bitcoin is 1.3 million in 10 years. That scenario is that these ledgers that we're talking about become so ubiquitous and so easy to use that JP Morgan is worried that no one needs them anymore. Right. Are we wor- are we working in that direction? Right. We I thought we were for a while, but now I'm afraid that we might be losing the narrative. So yeah. sure, you, I'll get you sixty thousand or sixty-five thousand with the with the uh, with the spot ETFs. But if you want a million to a million three, like Wood says, we're going to get in ten years. You got to start thinking about how we're building a, an alternative financial system. And I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm not saying we are, but I'm afraid we might be getting away from that. Yeah, no, it's a it's a really really important question uh, that we're going to debate. And there definitely are some people who are working on. It's the bridge, right? It's that it's that sort of, you know, the lane for the masses to, to make it a little bit easier. We went through this, people saying other technology revolutions. No one could get on the internet for a while and we figured that out. So um, it's good. It, there's a lot of super interesting things going on in the space. I want to switch it up a little bit. Doug asking, Jim, after the initial DXY peaking late 2022, we are now in the subsequent fourth peaking. Do you think this DXY is about to turn over or does it have more room to run? It, you know, a big driver of the dollar index, that's what DXY is, is relative interest rates. And right now, if you look at what's happening in the world, um, which is which is probably the biggest story we're not talking about, um, Japan is in technical recession. The UK might be in technical recession, meaning that they've got negative GDP. And Europe might be very, very close to negative GDP. And as I said earlier, we're in a no landing in the US. We're, we're, we're growing above trend in the US. Whatever happened to synchronized global growth? There isn't any anymore. And so if that's where we're going, we could see a scenario where those other currencies, their bond markets, their yields fall. Ours doesn't. The spread widens, and that would be very supportive for the dollar. Um, because Relative interest rates is a big driver in the perception of where relative interest rates um, are going to go. But also, in this environment right now, like I said, if you look at Europe, they're not in a good place. In the UK and Japan are already contracting. So where are we going to go with relative interest rates? Probably wider with the US staying up and everybody else coming down. There's a couple of exceptions in there, like New Zealand and some of the others. But Mostly, it looks like dollar. the dollar should be continuing to stay stronger as we move forward from here, not necessarily weaker. Yeah. Um, super important, though. You know, we're, we're, we're really going to be paying attention to all that. Um, a lot of people watching Japan, too. There's a lot of when this happens, right? We really need to pay attention to the dollar for the knock-on effect. Um, and Vince just said dollar milkshake part two. 
by the way, so many great comments um, and reaction to your talking about Bitcoin and, and, and crypto and whether it's getting sucked into the, uh, you can, you can believe everyone, make sure you sign up and roll up for the, um, for the crypto gathering we're having. Cause we're real, we'll really dive into that. Our tours in the chat. Um, so we'll be sure it comes up. You know, if you want me to put it bluntly for everybody, I'll summarize it in one sentence. Is it a good thing that Larry Fink said, yeah, it's a good idea. Everybody buy my BlackRock fund. <laughs> I thought we were trying to get away from that, not waiting for him to validate it. That's my one sentence on it. Uh, Roger <laughs> asking, why do so few people hold gold? I think that there's a couple of reasons that they that they uh, they do. And the big one is, how does gold trade? It trades like a fiat currency. In other words, when the dollar goes down, gold goes up. But so does the euro, so does the yen, so do a lot of other currencies um, as well. And when the dollar goes up, gold goes down. So you could then fairly ask the question, what's the point of gold if it moves just like all the other currencies? I thought the point of gold was supposed to be it's this independent thing sitting over here, as you know, one of my mentors used to tell me, if gold is doing its job, and I told you what the stock market did today or over the last month, and I told you what interest rates did over the last month, and I told you what the dollar did over the last month, you would not be able to tell me what gold was doing. Mm -hmm. But in this environment, if I said stock market did this over the last month, interest rate did this over the last month, the dollar did this over the last month, you can reasonably tell me what gold is going to do. And that's the problem. It should be more independent. So I think that probably one of the things about why people don't gravitate towards gold is they're asking, where's its, where's its alternative status? And again, as I said before, why did it lose it? Because it's ETFs, it's derivatives, it's futures contracts. It's part of the system it's supposed to be outside of. So Jim, what do you what do you like to hedge this environment, or what what works here? Is it just cash again? Is that where we are? Well, yeah, you know, this is the single hardest question. A lot of people ask about the hedge, and what they're meaning is some version of the sixty forty portfolio. Because up until 2020, 2020, 2022, in that era, before that, the twenty or thirty years before that, bond prices and stock prices moved opposite each other, and that's how we came about with. The 60-40 portfolio, you know, risk parity trades and a lot of other th ideas like that. In other words, be long stocks, 60%. They'll go up. You'll make some money. But what happens when the stock market runs into trouble? The bond market will rally and provide that natural offset. That's not there anymore. The, the bonds and stocks move up and down together. Um, and so do a lot of other assets. So if the question is, where is that independent asset? Where's that negatively correlated asset? Um, I don't know where it is. Now, if the stock market crashes into a point where everybody's worried about the survival of the world, yeah, then you'll get a risk-off rally in, in bonds. But you're going to need it to be that extreme to get a risk-off rally in bonds. So if the question is, what is that uncorrelated asset? It really doesn't exist. And that's the problem. And it isn't maybe as much Bitcoin as we think it is. And it isn't as much gold. So where do you hedge? You, you had it right. 5.3% yield in a money market fund, which is if you're realistic, stocks will return you 8%. Okay, mm -hmm. I could get 70% of that with no risk. 
that doesn't sound sexy, but that's the whole point of uh, of a hedge. And that's what the market's giving us right now. I would like to tell you that there's a big risk-off market that you could buy like bonds used to be, but it doesn't really exist right now. Yeah, I think that you really just put your finger on what's so unnerving for people right now is even if you understand and you're trying to make a plan, ugh, it's hard because of the way everything is working right now to even uh, certainly to just preserve capital. But if you will try to grow your wealth in this period, um, then it's then it's tough, isn't it? That It's another thing we're we're really going to try to dive into. Um, I can't give too much away right now, but we're planning some stuff because we're all grappling with this, right? We're all asking ourselves and asking all of you these questions. I'm going to squeeze one more in, Jim, because I think this is, oh, look at look at Brian and Nick. They did a poll that just popped up. Who are who are who is who are these magicians who are working with? Could the U.S. You'll be interested in, in this, Jim. Could the U.S. ten-year yield go back to five percent? Seventy-three percent said yes. Twenty-six uh, percent of people listening right now said no. So, so let me let me contrast that for you. Um, Bank of America does a survey of global fund managers. Their last survey, which was put out earlier this week for February surveyed about 250 managers running about $600 billion of money. About 80% of them would have answered no to that Mm. question. And about 20% of them would have answered yes to that question. So the exact inverse of what our poll was. So the people that run hundreds of billions of dollars uh, are are on the other side. And what's driving their opinion? 90% of them expect central banks to be cutting rates this year, and that includes the Fed. And 80% of them expect inflation to continue to fall. So that's what they expect, inflation to fall, central banks to cut rates. They expect the bond market to rally. So the money is exactly the opposite of our poll. Very interesting um, and worth keeping in mind. Uh, so we're going to keep testing, uh, that framework, everybody, uh, but good on you for, for having, um, for doing your homework and having at least a contrarian view. We, we don't know who's right yet, but we're going to keep making sure we revisit that and ask this question. So this is the last one I want to squeeze in because I think this speaks to people looking for opportunity. So what did we traditionally do? We look for things that were really beaten down, right? This has come up a few times. This is from Amanda. Welcome, Amanda. I've seen you in the chat today. Does Jim have a view on China and Chinese tech? Uh, for example, Baba, I feel like China will start stimulating the economy this year. So the Chinese could basically electrocute their economy and they can't get it going. Their economy is in a bad place right now. Um, it is uh, it is problematic. Uh, it was the cover story of um, uh, The Economist last week uh, in the thing about being a cover story is everybody screams contrarian and you're not wrong on that. But also remember, the reason it was a cover story is the Chinese economy is in a terrible place. Mm. Now, now, their markets have been pounded unmercifully for the last year. They've just been destroyed. Um, relative, I mean, if you look at the Chinese stock market, especially the CSI 1000, their biggest, broadest measure, it is lower now than it was at the panic lows of March of 2020. That would be like me telling you the stock, the S&P's not at 30, at 5,000. It'd be under 3,300 is where their, their, their equivalent is 
in their market. And so the first answer to your question is their economy is not in a good place. It's not in a good place at all. Second part of the question is, has the stock market's pounding reflected that pain and suffering? Yes, it has. Does that mean that maybe it presents itself a contrarian buying opportunity? Probably, maybe. I wouldn't be surprised on it. But if you're buying the Chinese economy, if you're buying Chinese stocks, this is what you're buying. I'm buying a crappy economy that's probably going to stay crappy, but the markets have priced in crappiness, and I think that there's going to be an oversold bounce. If you approach it with that mentality, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you approach it with the mentality, the Chinese economy is going to recover, the Chinese Mm -hmm. economy is going to be better, you might be asking too much. And I'll remind everybody, when did the Chinese economy, when did the when did the Chinese stock market peak? When was its all-time peak? 2008. It was actually within a week of the uh, 08 uh, Olympics in China. Uh, and so we're now pushing 16 years since mm. we've seen the all-time high in their market. Not quite 40 years like we saw in Japan um, with the Nikkei, but their, they, their market has been a struggle for quite a while right now. And now that their economy is a struggle, yeah, I could see an oversold bounce and I could see approaching it with that mindset, but I don't want to make the case that BABA or any of the other big plays in that economy are going to be long-term value plays or good plays, but oversold bounces. Yeah. Nimble. If you're looking for a trading opportunity, remember there's political risk. Big change is not fully capitalist. We saw that with a lot of the uh, leadership moves, and we don't know how they feel about that. So yeah, to proceed with caution. I think it's a good right. one. But interesting, a really interesting question, and it comes up again. Jim, we got to let you go. We already blew past the time we we're supposed to wrap, but it's just so, so fun to have you on, especially on a Friday. We love it. I enjoyed it. Everybody have a good, long President's Weekend. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Remember, everybody, jump 